Today is giving in his name. And last night at our Saturday service, we had a young couple visit us for the very first time with their four children. And I had to go up and say, we really don't talk about this every single week. And their church people, they, they got it. But we're doing this Consecration Sunday this day because our fiscal year doesn't run on a calendar year. <laughs> That's all right. I was, in, I was inspired to fly like a superhero. So uh, I think what I was saying was our fiscal year starts uh, July 1st, and we do that strategically. We do that so that it, it yokes and links with the school year schedule so that our entire budget for one year can cover the whole school year. We do it that way because Methodist clergy, ordained clergy, are appointed on July 1st. And so we have put it together, and anytime we, we put together our plans and our thoughts about what next year is going to look like, we start to vision, we start to dream. What is our next fiscal year going to look like? I, for one, am really encouraged with the momentum that Pastor Andrew's children, youth, and family ministries are, are starting to provide. I'm, I'm encouraged by our continuing to, to reach out and form new covenant relationships with, with people like the Keefe Avenue Elementary School and others. I am excited that the Holy Spirit, who's, who's coming today, we've set, we recognize, is going to blow new ideas, new strategies new ways of doing ancient things. It is exciting to think about. And so to lead up to this day, we've had members of the church get up here and give a short testimony. And the testimony was not about money so much. It was about what God has done in their lives, how, how God's working in their lives wants them, makes them want to respond in ways that are, are powerful. But each and every one of them thought, you can't get up in front of a group of, of your peers without actually sharing a quote. So we heard some great, great quotes. Uh, Winston Churchill, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Robert Louis Stevenson, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. And Mike Rupp uh, last week shared with us a Maya Angelou quote, I have found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. And so we say, you know, Pastor Matt, I paid $5 for a gallon of gas to get here right now. Pastor Matt, you should see what, what my, my, my stock portfolio has done since January 1st. We are, we're coming into a full-blown recession, and now we're talking about trying to give money to fund mission and ministry? And I say, yes. At the last recession, I learned something that really warmed my heart. It's known to be a fact. During the last recession, I learned that communities of faith, churches, are, are historically the last organizations to feel the pinch of a recession. Does that mean we're recession-proof? Absolutely not. But why is it that churches are the last organizations in our Western culture to, to, to suffer during a recession? And I think it is because people see the significance of what the church is doing. I think people give not because it's a bill that is coming from an electric company, because, but because giving is a response to the love that God has given us. Yes, we are the last to suffer. And yet, churches too are laying people off, freezing salaries and decreasing salaries, reducing employee benefits, postponing building projects. Now I'm blessed that we haven't had to do all that here 
but we too are, are feeling a pinch. And so we turn to Scripture, and we have this wonderful little book very close to the middle of the Bible that is put together by a, a person kind of in the twilight years of their lives, a, a mature human being who has been a, a student of life and has learned all of these things and gives us these wisdom kind of statements. Koaleth is what we would call him. But we have his writings in Ecclesiastes, and this again is a wisdom uh, taking a look back over a lifetime of lessons and experiences, and this is what he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Other translations say folly. Others say pure vanity. And so not to be outdone by the, the lay people here that, that, that read us quotes, I have a quote of my own that I found from Hobart Brown that says this, money doesn't always bring happiness. I think we can agree with that. Money doesn't always bring happiness. But Mr. Brown says, people with $10 million are no happier than people with $9 million. But the, the real quote that I, I want to share is from Ann Lappy. And this is what she says. Every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world that you want. Every time you spend money, you are casting a vote for the kind of world that you want. When you give or don't give to a church, you are casting a vote for what the mission and ministry of that church is going to look like how far it's going to be able to reach, the impact it's going to be able to have. And so I have just a handful of, of very quick observations I would like to make right now. And the first observation is this. There is a difference between training and trying. There's a difference between training and trying. Jesus says in Luke, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Now, if someone were to come up to me and say, Pastor Matt, I want you to run this marathon with me, I would say, are you crazy? <laughs> what I wouldn't say was, well, I'll give it a try. You can't just, without training, get up and run a marathon. You would have to pull me off the road probably about eight miles in, and if, if I make it that far, that would be lucky. I need that bumper sticker that doesn't say 26.2, it says 0.0, that's, that's what I need. But what I should really say is, I will start training. I will start training. Because I'm not going to be able to make it in the long haul if I'm not being faithful, building myself up to that. And so what I'm saying is, if you are doing nothing to contribute to this church right now, start. Start. Volunteer some of your time, share some of your talent, share some of your treasure. Get into training to be the kind of steward that God has called us to be. The second observation is this, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And to the second letter in, to the church in Corinth, Paul says this, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You reap what you sow. Whatever you give will be given back. And we, we know this is true of far more than just money. Think of a smile, a warm, genuine smile. I find that when I smile at somebody, 
they almost always smile back at me if they know I'm being honest and genuine. And so whatever I give comes back to me. That's the same with grace. The more I extend grace to other people, the more they extend grace to me. The more I share my love and my mercy with other people, the more love and mercy they give back to me. Is it true also with money? A couple weeks ago, I talked about John Osteen, and, and I got some negative feedback. They, they said I was a little too harsh on him. But his father is a man who I used to watch on TV, and, and his ministry that, that Joel inherited was much smaller back then, and, but it was starting to grow. It was starting to grow, and the elders in the church, the leaders in the church said, you know, Pastor Osteen, we need to, we need to build a new extension. We need a, a new facility here to handle the amount of people who are, who are coming in here like droves, and, and Pastor Osteen couldn't disagree with that whatsoever. But he did make mention that every time he drives to that church, he passes a little Hispanic congregation, that the roof is actually caving in on itself. And what Osteen said to his elders, the leaders of the church is, God's laying on my heart that yes, we do need to build our new, uh, our new expansion, but we need to do it after we build the roof for that little church over there. And that was a tough sell for him, but he did it. You reap what you sow. And because they gave their first fruits to a church that wasn't their own, but was a part of the Christendom, part of the family of God, they indeed were blessed as a result. And being blessed is wonderful because my next observation is we are blessed to be a blessing. Paul didn't stop after that last verse. The next two verses continue. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. We need to stop just waiting for when we're going to be blessed or when we're going to receive, and we need to instead change our focus to the ways in which we can be a blessing to someone else, what we can give to somebody else, how we might truly be a blessing in the name of Christ, in his name to other people. When I was in seminary, I had to read a very old book by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, and Mr. Bunyan said this, you have not lived today until you have done something for someone who cannot pay you back. You have not lived until you have done something who can't, for someone who cannot pay you back. But that takes trust, which is my next observation. We are called to trust in God, especially when it comes to giving of ourselves in any which way we give. We know that in the Old Testament times, there was great famine, and the famine in the land was so severe, and it, it still happens. Various parts of the world have these famines, and people are, are forced to kind of leave and become refugees in order to, to go after food. And this happened to Isaac. Now, there was a famine in the land, it says in Genesis 26, beside the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines near Gerar, Right? He, he's trying to save his life. He's going. He's seeking after food. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. This is a trust situation. 
Could he truly trust that God was going to provide for his needs? And the answer was yes, and he did. He trusted God, and the, the, it, it ends by telling us, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. He trusted in God, and he was blessed. We need to place our trust in the God who tells us that God already knows the plans that they have for us, and it's not for harm. No, it's, an, it's, it's a plan to thrive. God provides. God blesses. We need to trust in the one that can work all things together for good. And so the question is, where is God leading you right now? What kind of step that might be scary? Do you need to just place all your trust in God and know that, that God does not par, uh, plan harm for us? I invite you to give time for prayer and reflection so that your trust in God can grow deeper and deeper each and every day. But my final observation is that we are called to give God our first fruits. Have you ever been to a a sermon where it was one of these sermons where the pastor was talking about giving money and you felt like the pastor was trying to scare you or guilt you or blame you? Or just twist your arm or some way, maybe some veiled threat. And if you've been to those kinds of sermons, most often you hear this text. Will a man rob God? This is God speaking. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Does that give anyone the warm fuzzies? Does that motivate the way in which you give back your time, your treasure, your talent. Yes, we know that we are called to be faithful, but will a man rob God? As one preacher said in one of these kind of scary sermons, you can't rob God and accept God to bless you at the same time. And so I know that I have been on a journey from the very beginning of being full-time in ministry. I had a pact that that I would never be able to invite or plead or ask a congregation to fund ministry if I wasn't funding it myself. And so I've, I've done that from the very beginning of my ministry to give a full 10% of my, my, uh, my, my salary. And I feel that I have been blessed. I, I really do feel I've been blessed. But it wasn't always easy, and because and it wasn't always easy because sometimes I was trying to give this 10% later in the month. And then it was harder to do. We're called to give our first fruits, our first fruits, instead of waiting to see what we have left over. Do you know that the average churchgoer gives their local church each week less than what they spend at Starbucks that week? Do we know that the average church member gives weekly to their church less than what it costs them to go through a McDonald's drive-thru one time? Do you remember that how we spend our money reflects the kind of world that we want to have for us and for our children, that we're casting a vote. First fruits. For me, the easiest way to do that is electronic funds transfer. Matter of fact, at my last church, we we got to the point where more than half of our congregation was giving money through EFTs, electric fund transfers, to make sure that God got the first fruits. And you know what happened? When people made that dedication, when they said, yes, I'm going to give electronically this way, 
What happened was when they would go to Florida for a month in the winter, the church didn't suffer. When they went to Door County for six weeks in the summer, the church didn't suffer. I know that this congregation uh, has something happening that, that, that my other churches didn't. I know that there are a lot of people who give a one-time check, a very generous check. And I think that's wonderful because that shows that here's the first fruits. It's not of, of what's left over. This is what I intend to give. And no matter what happens, I have made this gift. I have given my first fruits to this community of faith. I am casting a vote for what kind of church I want this church to be. And so we know, coming all the way back to Pentecost, that the Pentecost story doesn't end just with the Holy Spirit coming and, and them speaking in languages they've never spoken before so that everyone can hear. It doesn't end with the crowd saying, what are these people, drunk? What's, what's gotten into them? We know that the story continues. And later in the second chapter of Acts, it says this. They, meaning this, these, this first group of people, this first church that had the Holy Spirit breathe life into it, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The response to the Holy Spirit bursting onto the scene, breathing life into the church and into its members, led them to gather together, to break bread, but it also led them to share of their own resources, to care for those who needed care. And if a church's mission is to care for those who need care, to proclaim the teaching, to devote themselves to prayer and gathering together to worship, what happened? And what does happen? The Lord added to their number daily. And so every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. When you give or don't give or how you give to the church, you are casting a vote for what the mission and ministry will look like of how far it can reach. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to be very much like that very first church. We're going to have an opportunity to break bread together here in the sanctuary for Holy Communion, but also to go downstairs and to share in a time of fellowship. Whether you are going to make a pledge to this congregation or not, you are all invited to come downstairs, have some food, meet some people, smile and have that smile come back to you. But what we're going to do right now is you're going to be invited as some music is going to be played, you're invited to to bring forward any items of offering that you have, your, your weekly tithes, offerings, coins for mission, and place them in the Joe Ash box. I know we have a tradition here where a lot of folks um, bring a bag of change. You can open this and put that bag in there as well. But I also invite those of you who have come to the point where you know what your commitment is going to be, it is my prayer that you would bring those commitment cards forward and place them in the Joash box as well.
And for those of you who are at home and not with us, and maybe you have not yet made your decision, I invite you, whenever you have come to the conclusion of what level of giving you're going to do, that, that you go ahead and mail that card in to us. I want to thank you for all the ways over the years that you have continued to value the mission and ministry here, have given of your time, have given of your talent, and also shared a measure of your treasure. And so may God find in all of us faith-filled and joyful givers. You're invited to come whenever you feel led. Well, I don't know who the oldest member of this church or friend of this church was that, that placed something in this, this Joash box today, but I, I know who the youngest was, little Tegan Miller. She's just almost three years old, two and a half, and her, her daddy lifted her up, and she placed their family's uh, donation and, and pledge in the box. But let's pause and ask God to, to bless all of these gifts. So, mighty God, we thank you that you have created us for community, and we thank you that we have found this community. 
Lord, this morning we bring to you our tithes, our offerings, our, our coins and gifts for mission. But we also bring forward our commitment for the way in which we are going to continue to shine brightly here. And so, Lord, bless these pledges and the fulfillment of them. May they inspire us to, to dream new dreams, to make an impact in new ways, but to always take time to stop and pray and give thanks. Bless these, these elements and bless the people who gave them. In the name of Christ, amen. And so, yes, they did share their, their resources so it could flow to areas of greatest need, but they also gathered together. And the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he was there with these disciples. They still didn't get it. They still were walking with three years of more questions than answers. The Holy Spirit hadn't come and turned on that light switch. But at that meal, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. And the loaf worked its way around the table and all partook. When the meal was over, he took one of the containers of wine and said a prayer of thanksgiving and then said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for a very specific purpose, for the forgiveness of sins life everlasting. And he told them, whenever you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And so on this Pentecost weekend, we are going to join together with millions of Christians all around the world who are going to come to this table. The tables may look different. The bread may be different. What is in our cups may be different, but it's the same God, the same Savior. And so in just a moment, I am going to say a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit, whose uh, presence we celebrate this day, to come and to bless these elements. We're going to join together in lifting up the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, and then we are going to remove the thin layer of cellophane to get to the wafer and partake together, and then we will uh, get to the cup of blessing. Every time I offer communion, I, I try to remember to say, you don't need to be a member of this church to receive communion here. You don't need to be a member of any Methodist church anywhere. You are all welcome as children of God to receive this meal this day. And so let us pause for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we call for your Holy Spirit, whose coming we celebrate this day, that your Holy Spirit may descend upon us and upon these elements, the bread of life and the cup of blessing for all of your children, young and old, male and female. Lord, we give you thanks for the grace that you have given us. We give you thanks for the good gifts that you have given us that we are now stewards of. And so, Lord, to fulfill what Jesus himself said, as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. And so, Lord, we lift up the prayer that Christ himself taught as we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen.